massive thank you um, to this church. Your dedication, your welcome, your wholeheartedness, your tireless labor this last week, um, and massive care to detail in everything has enormously impressed us. We go on our way uh, having learned a lot, and you'll be in our hearts for quite a while to come. And uh, it's nice to end on this Mothering Sunday, uh, a day in which we celebrate the family that the Christian church really is called to be. And on a good day, it is. Not always good days, are they? Um, But we can be sure, I think, of one thing, that that is everyone here wants to make the most of our life. The thrust of this whole week has been to suggest that if we leave God out of our lives, we're missing out on the best. After all, he gave us life, and so it makes sense to think that to share it with him is a good move. But the whole idea of relating to God, and we had it in that reading just now, I know my sheep, my own, and my own know me, that sort of thing um, seems pretty unconvincing. Uh, to most of us. Deep down, we harbor a fear that God is a bit of a killjoy and that he's looking around to see if anybody's enjoying themselves anywhere and then uh, hoping that that will stop. Um, It reminds me of the uh, advertisement outside a U.S. church saying, don't be depressed alone, come along to church. (laughs) And the words of Jesus Christ that we've just read uh, give a lie to all that. Listen again to his claim. I am the gate of the sheepfold. Whoever enters by me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. In the original, I am the beautiful shepherd. The beautiful shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Life to the full. That's what we're all after, and Jesus Christ claims to bring it. Well, we all have our own recipes for a fulfilled life. Um, That is what after all, we're chasing for all the time. And Jesus Christ has the nerve to suggest that all avenues other than himself are thieves and robbers. He has in mind the sheep rustlers of his day. They come to kill um, at the sheep. They come to sell the wool. They don't care for the sheep at all. Um, they entice the sheep along but they're going to kill them and uh, flog the meat. And Jesus' point is clear. All alternative routes to fulfillment, other than him, are attractive to begin with, but actually they end in disenchantment. But how could God, through Jesus Christ, possibly offer us life to the full? Let's pursue it for a few moments. I have just two points for you this morning. And the first one is this. We experience fulfillment that is real but fleeting. 
we experience fulfillment that is real but fleeting. We all have a hunch of what it means to live a fulfilled life. But it's not so easy to achieve, is it? Our long-term goals uh, may be to knuckle down, to work hard, to delay gratification um, until we're really ready to go to town on it. Our, our short-term goals may be uh, to live for now and enjoy every moment and don't worry too much about the future. But in either case, we have a sense of what it means to go for a fulfilled and happy life, and we want to achieve it at all costs. Hello, there is a problem. And the problem is this. We may fail to achieve this goal. We may fail to gain life to the full. Maybe a relationship implodes. Maybe the car breaks down in a big way. Uh, maybe we lose our job. Maybe our investments fail. And you know how desperate it is. Um, people say, um, do this, do that, it'll be all right, you'll be happy. And we try, but we fail to achieve our goals. That's one possibility. The other possibility is this. Uh, it's more rare, but it's just as devastating. And that is that we achieve our goals, but they don't really cut it. We discover, after all the trouble we've taken, to go for that goal, we discover that happiness does not lie there. And lots of successful people make that discovery. Let me give you a few examples, or I could have given you many more. Steve Thompson, who was a member of the successful 2003 English um, World Cup rugby team. <clears throat> um, he, of course, all, like all the rest of them, came back absolutely chuffed to bits. And he landed at Gatwick. It was an enormous reception of great excitement. And um, he proposed to his girlfriend that very same day. And she said yes. And he drove home. But as he wrote in the Daily Telegraph later, everyone was at work when I got home. That's when it hit me. I can't remember ever feeling so depressed. Do you see his pathway to success, to life at the full? Well, play for England, win the World Cup, get engaged, be popular. He got all of those things, but he was miserable. They were thieves and robbers. It was a bit like that with the Greek um, ship owner Aristotle Anassis' daughter, Christina Anassis. She was one of the world's um, richest heiresses. <clears throat> she had fabulous wealth. She had yachts galore. She had several homes. She had four marriages, none of them lasting more than two years. And um, <laughs> one, one day, um, she uh, threw a Piaget watch, which cost 12,000 pounds. She hurled it into the sea uh, because it had lost 10 seconds. 
And she said this, memorable words. She said, people think I've got it all, but they're wrong. I've just got everything. Can this be living? To hell with it. And she died at 37 of persistent drug abuse. Or take Kenneth Williams, the celebrated comedy actor of a few years ago. He reflected like this. He said, I wonder if anyone will ever know the emptiness of my life. Here's the chap that makes people laugh. If anybody will ever know the emptiness of my life. And on the day he took his own life, he jotted down these words. Oh, what's the bloody point? Uh, last year, Hugo Rifkind wrote these words in The Spectator. Um, he wrote about the death of the Hollywood actor Seymour Hoffman. He was found dead at home with a syringe stuck into his arm. That syringe contained a cocktail of drugs. And this is what Rifkin wrote. Here is a man at the top of his game, working well, making films that were both successful and acclaimed, which is rare. He had three little kids after 15 years of stable marriage. What more could this guy want? Where was the hole in his life that led to the hole in his arm? He had achieved the pinnacle of what success can mean. Riches, fame, credibility. What do you have left to prove? And don't we live our lives, most of us, with a vast amount to prove? Struggling along under the impression that proving it and being content are one and the same thing. What's it all about, really, this bright-eyed life of toil and ambition when your life can go as well as his and still leave you dialing? the drug dealer. If he wasn't happy, what hope is there for any of us? Now, examples like that could be multiplied, but they simply underline what Jesus is saying. We experience this striving for fulfillment, and it's something that is real for the time being. But in the end, it doesn't cut it, and it comes as a thief to steal and kill and destroy. It offers happiness, but it doesn't deliver. Like sand that runs through your fingers, or like grasping at soap in the bath. If you don't make it, you're crushed. If you do make it, you may very well feel empty. Is there any alternative? Jesus says, in this remarkable passage we've read today, he says that there is. We um, all appreciate fulfillment that is real but fleeting. Jesus offers us fulfillment that is both real and lasting. I have come that they may have life, life in all its fullness. Jesus offers a quality of contentment and fulfillment that beats any other life to the full. Oh, is it impossible with all the hassles we have to go through? 
Religion certainly doesn't offer life to the full. Morality certainly doesn't offer life to the full. And political correctness most certainly doesn't. But Jesus says he will. Let's be clear who he is who's making this claim. This is no religious guru who is speaking. He's nobody who's just a great teacher or a fine example. He is claiming here, as often in the Gospels, to embody all of God that can be crammed into a human being. In the Old Testament, uh, God had seen that his shepherds, that is to say his leaders for Israel, were selfish and corrupt. And um, he resolved, you find it in Ezekiel, I myself will search for my sheep. I will look after them. I will search for the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will save my flock. And God goes on to say how he will do it. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. You see, God would come to the rescue but he'd do it through his agent, descended from Israel's greatest king, David. Jesus is great David's greater son. Jesus is that beautiful shepherd. And through him, God would bring in the rescue and fulfillment that men and women have longed for down the centuries. But how is he going to do it? What makes him so unique that he can make a claim like that? He tells us very clearly, twice he says, I lay down my life for the sheep and I will take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down and I take it up again. I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. And he's pointing, isn't he, to his cross and his resurrection, which lie pretty soon in the future. And that is what makes Jesus unique. For the whole New Testament unites in telling us that Jesus voluntarily went to that awesome crucifixion. And there he took personal responsibility for the whole stinking mass of human sin, yours and mine, included, which had created a gigantic barrier between us and God. Watch this. Jesus knew that his death was the only way of absorbing the guilt of us rebels, and he willingly endured the cross so that we, through his death, might have life to the full. But even that is not all. He is the Easter Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He did take up his life again, just like he said, transformed and glorified, and he longs to share it with us and give each of us life to the full. And that is why he is the gate, the unique gate into that life to the full, which has been the theme of this whole week 
and for which God created us, but which we have messed up by our own self-centeredness. And that's why we are all faced with a clear choice to turn to him or not. God will hold us accountable for the decision we make. What I'm saying is this. Our experience of fulfillment is real, but not lasting. We do get real fulfillment, meaning and pleasure from the things that we enjoy in life. But if Jesus really is God, stepping down into the world that he has made, would you not expect that the pleasure he offers would be better than any other? He takes us back to the very source of pleasure, relationship with God himself. The pleasures we have in life are real and powerful and intoxicating, but they are meant to be like rays of light leading us back to the sun from which they come. That's the journey that Jesus offers us. To put us back in touch with the fountainhead of joy and fulfillment, anything else is too small. C.S. Lewis grasped this very well. When we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, he wrote, it would seem that God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum, because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, of course, this life to the full that Jesus offers in his company um, doesn't mean that we don't have to face hardship and difficulty. We do. Any Christian will tell you that there is still pain and suffering um, to be had in this broken world for all of us. Christians are sometimes amongst the most broken people you'll ever find. But what is different about them is that they know it and that they have come to someone who has started to put them together again. They have come to Jesus. They have got reconnected to that source of joy and it is beginning to work through in their lives and have its effect. And that is what gives Christians hope and meaning and fulfillment even in the midst of hardship and suffering. And so I ask you this morning, if you know, and only you know, if you know that you're actually not personally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all joy, will you follow the clear reality of practical enjoyment in your life that you, that you know about, and yet the fact that it, it consistently fails to deliver. Will you follow that hint? Will you follow it to Jesus and see if he can offer you the fulfillment that really does deliver, even in the midst of sorrow and loss? Isn't it time you join the sheepfold instead of looking in at it from the outside?
There is only one way in, Jesus insists. There's only one gate, and he is the gate. It is the simplest thing in the world to go through a gate, but you have to decide that you want to, and then you've got to make a move and do it. The gate is open. He invites you into a life shared with him for the rest of your days and into eternity. You cannot drift into this life. You have to decide and then act. And he says, enter in. So at the end of this remarkable week that we've had here, do take the opportunity to do just that. You know that the shepherd can be trusted. You've seen the joy in, of those in the sheepfold as they have sweated so hard um, to um, serve us all this week. You know it's for real. It's time to enter in. Now, I realize that's a big decision. So, could you think it over for a moment or two uh, while we listen to this song? The words will appear on the screen. They come from a song that Christians often use to express their response to all that Jesus has done. Reflect as you listen. <laughs> 